from Studio C in the 511 Studios located in the Brewery District in downtown Columbus, Ohio. This is Note to Future Me. I'm Brett Johnson, owner and founder of Circle 270 Media Podcast Consultants. In each episode, I interview businesses and organizations who have implemented podcasting into their marketing strategy. Circle 270 Media works with entrepreneurs, small to mid-sized businesses, associations, and nonprofits to strategically plan and execute podcast content creation, distribution, and marketing. With over 35 years of experience in broadcasting and marketing, Circle 270 Media brings a unique approach to consulting our podcaster clients. Coming up in this episode, I interview Scott McComb, who is the chairman, president, and CEO of Heartland Bank. He is the host of of Driving the C-Bus. Great interview with Scott talking about how he began the idea of the podcast Driving the C-Bus and who he has talked to so far. And some real exciting news too that Circle 270 Media will be helping him moving forward with Driving the C-Bus. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it and get some insight on what Scott is doing with this podcast and moving forward what the podcast will deliver to you, the listener, as well. You can find a complete transcription of the episode at circle270media.com or note2futureme.com. And if you'd like to be interviewed about your business or organization's podcast, send me an email at podcasts at circle270media.com, or you can go to my website and fill out the contact information form. For more information about Circle 270 Media Podcast Consultants and how we can help your business begin or better implement your current podcast into your marketing strategy, contact me at that same email address, podcasts at circle270media.com. Enjoy the episode. So, Scott, a nonprofit you or Heartland Bank likes to support. Tell me about it. Yeah, that's a uh, – how much time do we have? <laughs> that, that is a extremely large question. Um, you know, uh, part of what community banking is all about is uh, is focusing on the community and, 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 and what is needed in the community. And because of that, um, we are, we are uh, sponsors and supporters of well over 100 – uh, nonprofit organizations inside of Central Ohio and, and on a national basis. So some of the larger ones I think that uh, uh, that we have supported is um, we are a big supporter of the USO of Central and Southern Ohio. You know, with the force behind the force, mm-hmm. um, uh, our armed uh, forces, men and women in active duty service. Uh, our our um, big mantra for the bank on an annual basis: we have a golf outing that supports children's charities. So we mm-hmm. firmly believe. Uh, in the principle set by Colin Powell, um, the little red wagon um, right. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, concept that he uh, had about 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where if you can invest in a child's early early childhood development type causes, you can make a serious impact, you know, to their lives. And so uh, that brings us to um, – uh, you know, all kinds of different charities that we've supported over the course of time, whether it's uh, junior achievement or whether it's um, uh, the uh, Lutheran Social Services, which is a very diverse group, you know, everything from Meals on Wheels to childhood development to uh, to reading and workforce development um, to uh, Victory Ministries uh, is another one uh, that we've supported. Um, the um, uh, the Ohio uh, Dyslexic, Dyslexic Learning Center uh, mm-hmm. for children with dys- dyslexia. It's hard to say today for <laughs> some whatever reason. Um, so there's just a whole host of ones that we've uh, covered. Special Olympics. Um, uh, I you know just to, I, I couldn't list them all. Sure, that sounds good. No, it's I think um, 
there are certain categories of businesses that are obligated almost. It's a good thing to do and you know you need to do it. It's not one of those, hey, we've we've got to do this. No, we've got to do this. <laughs> well, community, community. community banking is about taking capital inside the community. So we take deposits and, and investors that are that are uh, uh, willing to, to give us their capital so we can provide them a return. Mm-hmm. Those are our shareholders, right? And then we take depositors' money, loan it out locally to businesses, and it became, becomes this perpetual circle. Well, right. one of the things that is super important is benevolence. Um, you know, making sure that uh, that there's a food pantry and that the food pantry has the resources it's need, it needs in every community that we serve, uh, things like that. It's just what community banking is all about. Right. So let's talk a little bit about your professional background and history up to this point. Sure. Well, um, I have a very different background than most folks in my business. So I'm an entrepreneur in the banking world. Uh, my father was a career banker. Um, started off in a finance company, then uh, got into uh, to uh, community banking uh, here in town with the Grove City Savings Bank in 1967, and that's when we moved to town. Um, and uh, I was one years old. I was born in Ironton, Ohio, and and came up here. And my parents are all my whole family's from West Virginia, so we are um, hillbillies. And uh, <laughs> the rest of the family is still living in the trailer behind the house in the holler. That's just the way it happens, you know. And uh, we were we were lucky enough to. Uh, to make it out of there through the power of 4-H. So my father actually uh, uh, made it out of the uh, mountains because he got a scholarship to Marshall University to be uh, the captain of the livestock judging team. Amazing. That was his, yeah, and wow. he majored in biology. So uh, very eclectic background there. Yeah. We moved, my background, we moved to Grove City, Ohio uh, here, and uh, my father ran the Grove City Savings Bank uh, for a guy named Jack Havens, who was a um, yeah, kind of a, one of the founders of modern-day Columbus, really, uh, and uh, chairman of Bank One, chairman of the Ohio State University. Um, uh, he worked for him and George Skesto. So anyway, uh, long story short, uh, I was, um, you know, I finished high school. I was in college, uh, went to Grove City High School, went to Ohio State. Instead of I had the Ohio, I was either going to go to Ohio State or go in the Marine Corps because I was kind of a troubled youth. I was never really in trouble, but I liked to have fun and. Uh, and we, I think we've all been there. So I went to Ohio State, and I majored in High Street. And um, and High Street I've was heard a, that twice now on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> High Street was is a great place. You learn to budget, you learn to love, you learn to fight, um, all those great things, right? So uh, so I made a major in High Street. Uh, never really even declared a major, you know, until uh, well, until I went back the second time. Frankly, um, so when my father got to a certain point uh, where. His bank was sold. He's working for a larger bank. He he started Heartland Bank, and he was going to start Heartland Bank Corp from scratch and buy another smaller bank and and uh, change the name to Heartland, and that was that's how Heartland started. So when he did that, though, he realized he had a big epiphany moment in his life where he said, "You know, really, Scott, the only way to wealth, the true wealth, is to own a business and to uh, and to earn money through equity, earn capital through equity." You can't really save your way to wealth and, uh, and to financial independence. It's just extremely difficult to do that. So he encouraged me to start my own business as well. So I was, you know, again, majoring in high street, and, uh, and he, helped me, uh, he uh, helped me start a, a home and business monitored security system company, and I started that when I was 20. And so I ran that for about 10 years. It was called PFM Alert Systems. That's standing for Police, Fire, and Medical Alert Systems. 
And um, that sprouted a couple other things. So I, I, I uh, sprouted a janitorial business because I didn't make any money in the security business for like the first four or five years. So to pay the mortgage, I had to clean other offices. And I just so happened he needed a janitor at the bank. So I was my first job at Heartland Bank, I was the janitor. <laughs> and uh, so I cleaned the office, in, in the Grove City office. And then we had a Wilson Road office. Then we had a Dublin uh, 161 Franz Road uh, Dublin office. I cleaned that. And so I had three or four different uh, cleaning jobs. And then, then I started – uh, contracting out for other cleaning jobs, and that became a whole business where I had employees and uh, you know 1099 contractors and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Meanwhile, the security business continued to thrive and, and do really well. I took the proverbial quarter off of High Street at Ohio State, and uh, because reality was hitting me in the head, and uh, and I was doing, I was starting to do well. I was starting to turn a profit and do those things, and so uh, uh, so I dropped out of school and I and I just ran my business and. Uh, did really well for about ten years uh, in that business. I um, I was offered a number to uh, uh, well, I was offered a, a approach to sell the business, and they said, "Well, just write a number on a piece of paper." And I wrote a number on the piece of paper, and they took it. And I thought, "Damn, you know, I should have <laughs> I should have probably asked for more money." One more zero. Like, gosh, Why not one I more do? zero? Yeah, right. So anyway, I went to work for. I sold the business. Did really well. You know, paid off all my debt. Put away money for the co- kids' college education. Uh, went on to uh, work for corporate America with a company called Vector Security, and Vector is one of the top, you know, three probably uh, alarm companies in the nation, and and uh, very very good company. But you can't own any of the company. No one can own any of the company. It's actually uh, a the a wholly owned subsidiary of the Philadelphia Contribution Ship, which is the very first insurance company that was started by Benjamin Franklin in 1752. So it goes way, 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 way back, and no one owns any of it except for the Philadelphia Contribution Ship. Uh, that was they paid me very well, but it was very disenchanting because I wasn't building equity again. So I was going to start something else. I gave him three months' notice and said, "Guys, this has been great. You know, you paid me really well, took care of me, but I really got to build equity here. I've learned the only way to you know true wealth is through owning a business and creating equity through sweat equity and 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 creating value and." Um, uh, so I left there and was going to start something else. And uh, my father and I were on a uh, on a golf trip in uh, Orlando, Florida, and we're sitting at the bar having a a Jack Daniels. That's what him and I like to drink and what we drank together. And and he and I said to him, "Hey, is there anything I could do for you at the bank?" And he said, "Well, let's talk about that." So he laid out a whole plan of what I would do at the bank, and and uh, and I. And he agreed to you know give me a salary, which was fifty percent of what I was making at Vector Security. But I had no experience in the banking business, and I said, "Okay, great, you know, let's do it." So, so I joined him at the bank and uh, uh, as the director of internet banking. So we launched uh, the very first thing was in the technology world, um, driving, uh, launching an internet bank or the internet portion of the bank in nineteen ninety nine, which was pretty revolutionary back in nineteen ninety nine. So. Uh, so I started there, and my entrepreneurial skills that I had learned in the previous decade uh, really just kicked in in the in the banking world. There's not a lot of entrepreneurs in the banking world, and so it was very easy to to go in and make uh, common sense decisions, um, work circles around folks. I mean, because entrepreneurs work ten, twelve hours a day. That's what they do mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Uh, bankers, not so much, you know, bankers are usually, you know, the not, banker hours, they're come kind true. of working the yeah, banker hours, yeah. you know, and uh, not so much anymore, but they, they, uh, back in that, in that time frame, that's the way it was. And so, um, 
So I joined the bank, and I, I never really gave up any responsibility. You know, I, I learned the business. I was a teller for a while. I was the worst teller on the planet. <laughs> um, I have dyslexia. So I uh, transpose numbers. I can't read really fast unless it's like a financial statement or something like that, you know. But if you threw a, a box, uh, opened up a box of matches and threw them out, I get within five of how many are on the table, just guessing, you know. Mm. I, I, so I have kind of mm. that going on as well, which is confusing and you know, exciting at the same time. But, um, so, so I went, came through the bank and, uh, and I kept getting promoted and taking on more responsibility and I'm a natural salesperson and I love to build relationships. And so that, uh, worked out really well. And I ended up, uh, becoming a loan officer and getting a, you know, a whole portfolio of customers that I brought into the bank and, and, uh, and then they, they made me the chief operating officer of the bank, like seven years after I joined the bank. And I thought to myself, you know, wow, they, you know, if I play my cards right, they might let me run this place. <laughs> and, um, and cause I knew my father was going to retire, you know, and, uh, so I'm coming up through the ranks, but I didn't have my degree. And, um, and I'd promised my mom before she died, I lost my mom very early, uh, that I would finish my degree one day. And so I put those two things together and I decided, you know what, this is the time to go do it. So in 2007, I went back to school. And uh, ran was running the bank, the bank's chief operating officer, and uh, and also during the financial crisis, and and I was going to school at night at Ohio State, and I ended up graduating in two thousand nine. So in between there, th- right. thank you. Yeah. I'm very proud of that. It was a lot of work, yeah. a lot of dedication, um, and then I guess uh, uh, in between there, I went to the graduate school of banking at the University of Wisconsin. That was in the early two uh, thousands, like two thousand two thousand three. Um, a lot of education there. That's really where they teach banking there. You don't learn it in college. You learn it when you get out in the field. Um, and, uh, and multiple other schools and, 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 uh, and, uh, courses and things in the banking world. So, but I, I kind of see, um, my philosophy is that I never stop learning. So I try, I'm kind of like a sponge. I'm afraid that I'm going to fall behind by not constantly, figuring out how I can make myself better or how I can be, you know, find the next thing for my team to execute. Um, so that's kind of my background. It's a lot different than what you'd hear from other folks. I, yeah. Whenever I tell other bankers that they can't believe that they just can't believe it. They're like, Oh my gosh, it, no wonder, you know, they, it, so much things make sense after that point. Sure. Cause, cause sure. we don't run our bank like a bank. We're running it like a technology company, mm-hmm. uh, like another business. You know, if we, if we, if we want to run in herds with the other banks, then, then that makes our what we deliver a commodity, and uh, and most people think banking is a commodity. So uh, I've just charged my team with going after the three or four percent of the population that understands value. And if we get those folks in the in the door, then we've successfully doubled the size of the bank, and we're probably doing pretty well. Yeah, exactly. So let's go into why a podcast for the bank. Yeah, what yeah. Are we the, about? Well, again, um, you know, podcasts are hot. People want to understand. Uh, they want snippets. They don't want an hour long or they want two hours long, uh, you know, a dissertation on this or that and the other thing. But they, they're very interested. And in, in, uh, uh, the population now understands that knowledge is at their fingertips. Well, that didn't happen. That's only been there for about 11 years, right? Mm-hmm. 12 years, right. the advent of the iPhone or the iPod. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, you had the internet and then, and podcasting really wasn't that popular because it wasn't convenient. You, know, you had to be sitting at your desk. Well, now if I'm running, I can listen to a podcast. I'm out doing sit-ups or I'm out fishing. I'm out, you know, knitting, I'm doing whatever. 
I can uh, educate myself. And I think there's a whole class of people, you know, a, a large portion of the population that has that same desire that I have that, hey, what am I missing? What else can I, how can I stimulate myself besides sit in front of the TV and have somebody lie to me, you know, right. or try to change right. my opinion on something or whatever? How can I educate myself and, and maybe understand culture better or enlighten, you know, maybe reach a new level of enlightenment? And I think that's what podcasts do to folks. And so I thought that it would be really cool to have a podcast that, you know, we could, where we could pump the bank a little bit, but it's really not about the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't want to be sold anything, right? That's right. just not what people want to be sold. They want to confirm their decisions. Um, they want to, uh, they want to be enlightened. But moreover, I wanted to, to let people know, you know, because Columbus is now this hot, one of the hottest cities, uh, you know, east of the Mississippi. I wanted everybody to understand why and how it got that way. And that was the whole part of driving the C-Bus. So right. who is driving the C-Bus? Obviously, C-Bus is Columbus. and uh, But who is driving it? And how did we get here? It wasn't by accident that we got here. And so I've been in this town all my life. And when I have people grow up, younger folks in their 30s, they don't know Jack Havens. They don't know uh, what the Ohio Sports Commission does. They don't understand the place of Kip Morris and the Better Business Bureau and what they've done. Um, you know, they don't understand local radio with Randy Malloy and CD1025 right. and what they've been right. fighting. So I just thought it was a really good uh, uh, topic to start off with. Um, and that was our first line of topic. So now I think we're kind of shifting to where we're going to talk about uh, just business in general and then uh, some other things that are happening mm-hmm. uh, in central Ohio and mm-hmm. and yeah. try to keep it going. You got a team around you thinking about this brainstorm? I mean, or is it just you solo kind of go, hey, we're going to do this, uh, we're we going to do this? a little bit of a team. You know, okay. I was the impetus of the whole team. We have a really crack marketing team. Uh, you know, my assistant, Tracy Bayless, is really uh, a crack person and helps out a lot with me brainstorming stuff. And by the uh, way, she's in the room, folks. So, yeah, she you know, is here, yeah, and so. she just winked at me, so it's cool. <laughs> and then uh, uh, my daughter, Kaylin, uh, really helped us. She was my, the producer of Driving the Sea Bus, so okay. she has really had an impetus there. We also have a group called uh, um, Distribution Strategies, which is uh, led by a young gal uh, named Ashley Trout. And Ashley is one of the most creative people in our company. Um, she is able to take all the wild ideas that I come up with and boil them into value. And uh, and then execute her her group executes that value. So she's helped me out quite a bit as well. Well, good. So from first thought of the podcast to open the mic and recording, how long did that take for you? It took about two and a half months. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, we read some white papers on how to do podcasts. We listened to some podcasts. We had a little focus group. Um, you know, inside the bank of people that re- listen to podcasts regularly about what they like and what mm-hmm. they don't like and. Um, you know, we, we read one paper I can remember was the, uh, uh, was the impetus. I forget the name the author or who it was, but basically he said, you know, the most important thing is, uh, don't script it. Um, it can be about anything. It has to be in a manageable amount of time. And the most expensive thing that you should really focus on is a really good microphone. Right. And, and that's, yeah. that's yeah. those are the things we took to, to heart. And, uh, I, I kind of created the questions that I would ask. Mm-hmm. I created, uh, Sent those out to our, our folks, and I created our, our first 10 or 12 guests. And um, and Kalen produced them, and, and uh, off to the races we went. So how hard was it to get those first guests when you didn't have a podcast produced, and you're calling them going, I want you to be a guest? You know, they were so excited. They were, they were yeah. just excited That's to cool. be part of it, you know. Um, and the whole idea that I had was to, you know, 
obviously you do things not only to tell the story and all that, and you're trying to help the community, but you're obviously trying to help yourself as well, right? I mean, if you're if there's no reward or some sort of gratification or some way that it helps, then what are you doing with your time, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. we live in that kind of society. <clears throat> so, so I actually uh, hoped, and and we and we actually were able to accomplish where we could take our social media circles and promote the podcast, and we were hoping to marry up with their social, the guest social media circles, and and maybe we'll meet somebody new, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe somebody will learn something different, and and uh, it's so ex- inexpensive; it doesn't take a lot of time. It's uh, uh, there is a craft behind it, and frankly, it's becoming um, it's becoming even more and more eclectic over the course of time with cameras with with all kinds of things where people could look and see i mean there's a i actually drove to uh drove to cleveland to watch a podcast uh, of things you should know sure which is like super popular you know there's like millions of people that watch things listen to things you should know so she wanted to go and and see the podcast. So she drove up there with a friend to see the podcast. I thought, wow, you know that you know the podcasts have arrived when somebody's going to drive two and a half hours one yeah. way to check it out. You know, yeah, so. yeah. And and I think we're dealing with a generation that's never experienced. And you and I are at the cusp of it. We can listen to old radio programs. That's what they did. That was the entertainment form at the time. But it's I think it's really cool that it's kind of going back to that. That somebody will drive or spend money to sit in an audience and watch two people talking or three people talking behind a table yeah, and be entertained. I mean, Simple as that. I th- I, it, it amazes me that it's come back to that again. Well, I think, I think it's great. that you know, the death of cable is upon us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. I mean, I think that the sitcom, uh, I, you know, I think the l- lackluster of Hollywood, um, all those things are people have better things to do with their time, you know, and uh, now we have books on tape. Mm-hmm. We have all kinds of things. Uh, I think the, uh, you know, the, the more, um, uh, the more nonfiction type uh, uh, entertainment models, uh, you know, and 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 inputs are are really coming on with this uh, generation. You know, the, the millennial. Everybody wants to throw the millennial generation under the bus about oh, they sit in the basement and play video games, and you know, they're living here until thirty five. That's not true. No. I mean, that's no. there's a very 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 small group of the millennial generation that are doing that there's been a piece of every generation that did that that's right exactly every generation exactly yeah and so uh so that's just wrong i i frankly we hire a lot of millennials that are at our bank and if we can get more and more of them that's uh that's what we want to do and the fact of the matter is they are uh, very focused they do treasure their time but because they can use technology they grew up never having to change a channel they you know they you know, get up to change the channel. They, mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, they, they just—they're not afraid of the technology. So they can run rings around us, baby boomers and and Xers, you know. And uh, they're just three times more effective of what they can do with the tools. Right. They don't need as much time to get the same stuff done. Let's face it. Right. And looking at it as tools too, they 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 have that recognition where Xers and boomers are kind of going. This is still kind of fun. I'm getting sucked in, sucked in. It's like, no, it's a tool. Stop. Well, that that and also women in the workforce. I'm a big yeah. proponent for uh, single moms and for just women in general. They are able to handle so much more on a different level uh, emotionally. And it's, you know, I don't know why, how to explain it, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they're just more effective. And now that we're having more and more women in the workforce, I think we're finding that we have – if you take those tools and you put them together, you know, a, a more decisive, focused workforce uh, with uh, technology, I mean, no wonder we have all the productivity we have and, and we're chasing inflation that we can't ever get. Right. Yeah. So with your busy schedule, how did you figure out a publishing schedule? How many times 
per month, every week. How did you figure that out? What did you want to do? Yeah, I, you know, my schedule is very hectic. And so uh, what we were able to do, though, is do it in spurts. So, like, I would, I would set up three in a row and do three in a row, produce them, and then we would wait to launch them. Um, so we did them in spurts when my, my uh, schedule would allow. So I have a you – know, summertime is a decent time to, to do those. Uh, the spring and the fall are usually very, very busy with travel for me because um, I have some national positions. Uh, and then uh, then the winter, I like to spend some time in Florida and get out of these Ohio winters. But uh, but we were able to do them uh, you know, in spurts. And okay. uh, so I think we had a total of maybe – five recording sessions for 12 podcasts okay. and uh and you know it, it worked out pretty well yeah and I, I think a lot of podcasters do the batch recording is it just it's just easier it fits it the is. schedule as long as it's not time sensitive it's okay it works out yeah just if fine. it's not time sensitive but that's yeah. the thing if your topic is about current events though then it's you can't do it you right. can't do it and, right. and if you're going to do something you know have have uh, segments about current events and things, and that it wouldn't work any out references so well. to it. Of, That's right. This coming summer, uh, gotta yeah. edit that out. <laughs> okay, right. exactly. you know, but it, but it happens. Yeah, you talked about social media between yourself as well as guests. Uh, what was the social media strategy, at least for uh, your podcast? Uh, which channels to use? Which social media has you've seen work real well? And maybe ones like ah, kick that to the curb. It's just not working. Yeah, we have. Uh, you know, we're very active on social media, primarily for the bank on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, uh, not so much on Instagram, um, and uh, not so much on Pinterest. Um, you know, uh, we, we've really used those three things along with our website. So we have a lot of customers, you know, because they're doing internet banking and, and paying bills and checking their balance, uh, very active uh, website. And uh, so we're, we were able to push uh, those things out on those mediums. Um, never really did a press release per se. We just kind of wanted to put it out there and let people start to see and, and see what kind of reaction we got. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we want to maintain our uh, reputation risk as a financial institution. It was very important that uh, Scott didn't get out there and say something that would offend people at the, you know, that are depositors or whatever. And and uh, you know, so we wanted to be very sensitive to that. Uh, but at the same time, I think my customers they bank with us because they know who we are and we're very transparent and we just. You know, we're just going to say what we feel, and, and we believe everyone should, else should be able to say what they feel, and sure. no, no big deal. But yeah. uh, those are the those are the mediums that we really chose, and and so we uh, uh, we drove those, um, you know, kind of a a, a very regimented, preemptive uh, announcement for each launch. So, you know, one that's going to launch on Saturday, well, we would hit we would hit the media, you know, hit all those mediums and say, okay, this is coming on Saturday. And then, and then uh, maybe one or two more, uh, you know, posts about that coming up and then, and then it's live. And then we're, you know, back into square one again, waiting for the next episode to be live. Yeah. And you're using YouTube as the, the, basically the the platform. Yep. Uh, what, now, why did you choose uh, YouTube? Uh, well, it's just where we had videos already. Okay. So we have okay. various interviews from me and, uh, hmm and other mediums and what we would hope is that because everything was already there that they would see this and then maybe go to see some other things that had to do with the bank and get to know us and what a community player and a community supporter supporter we are gotcha so your um current setup uh for studio quote unquote what's it like describe it uh it is basically uh the amarine conference room at heartland bank corp okay so it's just a basic conference room not a big one um, and we don't do anything special. We have, uh, you know, my daughter, Kaylin, 
uh, plugs in microphones into her laptop, and uh, we have two two microphones there uh, that are one hundred and fifty dollars piece. That's where we. That's our total mm-hmm. cost, and a little piece of software, and that's it. Yeah, good. So um, she does the editing as well, then too. The, she does the, the editing. Arrow, take it. Yeah, we yeah, try not sure. to do a ton yeah. of editing because we really want it to be real. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know conversational and and you know I mean I think podcast listeners understand that you know they don't want to be too scripted you know they want people mm-hmm. to kind of speak off the cuff and talk about uh, uh, things that come to their mind and and be very genuine in their delivery of the material. Sure. So, what are your biggest challenges in creating the podcast? Biggest challenges uh, is my schedule and and lining up with Kaylin's schedule and then. Um, and because that's not what she does full time. So this is like an add on to her thing. So mm-hmm. we really don't have somebody that we've hired to specifically do this, that does that for a living and such and so forth. So that mm-hmm. was a big challenge getting it going. Another challenge of getting going in was getting buy in internally. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, I do a lot of things where I don't have a lot of buy in because I, I, I think that I'm going to create the buy in. So I, I lose as many times as I win, but I'm not afraid to lose. On the on the aspect that you have to take risk in order to win, and so I think everybody knows that at the bank that I'm I'm willing to uh, to jump out and do something new to see what happens and 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 try it and uh, and see how um, you know effective it might be. So that was a little little bit of a thing. People kind of were like, I don't know what that's going to be about, and you know. What kind of reputation risk do we take? Are okay. we? What's he going to say? Nobody ever knows what I'm going to say, <laughs> and uh, I kind of like it that way, you know. So, um, but those are a few things. Besides okay. that, we really didn't have any challenges. You know, it was uh, very smooth. And once we did the first couple episodes, people were like, "Hey, when's the next one? You know, what's the next mm-hmm. one going to be about?" Or, "Hey, here's a suggested guest you could have." Or, uh, "I really like this," and we got a lot of feedback, a lot yeah. of likes. Um, you know, uh, social media really took to it, and uh, and um, you know, I think we we really accomplished what we set out to do. I think I'd lead into the next question about advice for businesses, not necessarily in the banking industry, but any business interested in podcasting. From your experience, what you've had to do internally, not again, businesses are like yours, but they're going to run into those walls of internal. I really want to do that. What advice would you give? Well, I mean, uh, a lot of folks will say, well, geez, you only had 35 people listen to that. That's not very much. Well, have you ever done direct mail? <laughs> well, see, you're going to send out, uh, you're going to send out 5,000 things. You might get 10 phone calls. Well, it's better than direct mail, right? And it's cheaper. So, so before you shut the door on it and you decide never to do it, um, you know, why not try it? I mean, I, I think the big thing is that they have to have a commitment to it to keep it going over time. Even if you did a, even if you did one or two a year or three a year and you're talking about your business and what you did and everything else, there's nothing bad, I think, that can come from that unless you get, you know, too political or if you, if you, with your business, you know, because maybe your business is only going to cater to people on the left or whatever. Then that's, that's, that's fine if that's an right. angle that right. you're going to go for. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Uh, but you do take some risk in that regard, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, besides that, I really don't see any downside to people telling their story because, you know, especially in Columbus, for instance. In Columbus, you know, people support local ventures, they, and, 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 they're, and they want to know your story. And part of what uh, we even tell our, our Heartland Bank uh, associates is uh, go out and tell your Heartland story. You know, this, we, this isn't a mechanical thing. You know, you're helping make this story over the course of time. Go tell, just go tell your story, and people will become believers. I truly feel that any business – can do that as well. I mean, if they are ethical, yeah. 
mm-hmm. if their associates are taken care of uh, properly um, and uh, and they and they have a positive attitude and, and they have the utmost in integrity. Um, I really think you could take uh, this medium and and uh, and make it work for you. Yeah, because you can't fake what you just did. No, you can't. No. It, it's it's from the heart. Uh, it's it, yes, there are actors that can put on the voices and such, but we're not actors. <laughs> no, we've not been trained to do so. But I think the uh, the inhibitions come down and you just want to talk right. and, and talk about yourself and talk about the story and talk about helping people. Right. For yeah, the they, most part. they definitely don't have a short, fat, bald actors. That's <laughs> for sure. So I would not be an actor. <laughs> so uh, without giving away too many secrets, possibly maybe uh, vagueness, some future plans for the podcast. Where do you want to go with it? In no, your, I'd in be more than happy to tell you where yeah. we're going. We're, we're an open book. You know, we, we, uh, where I want to go is I want to find someone to help us uh, be more professional in, in, in putting it on. Um, I'd like to kind of true it up a little bit more with uh, taking on a challenge of going to some of the other things. Like if we had a video thing uh, of it, it you know, a, a video portion of the podcast, not everyone maybe, but certain ones. I would love to talk about uh, – um, you know, different uh, strands of conversation. So not just about driving the C-bus, but taking driving the C-bus as an impetus to have some conversations that have different threads, whether that's a, an industry thread, whether that's a local thread, maybe that's a national thread, or maybe it's a nonprofit thread, who knows, you know, yeah. just some of the things that I'm, I'm involved with to be able to, to help the people that we associate with continue to grow their communities and, and get the word out and talk about their challenges and, and their victories. And so, um, so that's kind of our next step. We're trying to, uh, we, we've, I think we figured out that we're going to take it, uh, not only to a, um, to a business segment where we're going to talk to our customers about their business, not about how they bank, but about their business and challenges they have with their business and, and, uh, and, and, um, and successes and what works and what doesn't, that kind of thing. Um, as well as a more industry focused uh, piece that uh, that'd be a different uh, different angle it said be might even a separate podcast mm-hmm. where we talk to um, industry experts and uh, and uh, service providers and that kind of thing and just about what's happening in the mm-hmm. in the business and and uh, uh, and and appeal to the banking community as a whole on a national level mm-hmm. yeah I think anyway you can kind of peel away some mysteries of what banks can do, whether it's the B2C or the B2B, it's good. I mean, just, uh, and again, this will time this podcast, but, uh, you know, just with the uh, the uh, school admissions scandal. I mean, that stuff happens because there are so many layers of mystery. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we want to get started on that. I, yeah. I was, it was just nice to see the the IRS, the FBI, and the Justice mm-hmm. Department actually take some people down there breaking the law. Right. And I mean, not only breaking the law, but they're just dishonest. I mean, they, these are people that don't have to do it. <laughs> That's what's the head scratcher about it. Is That's exactly so right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna ruin my life and my kids' life and everything else just because I wanted them to have this status. You know, when they already they can buy status, right? They yes, have, they can. For, and, the, uh, for the amount of money that was being thrown around, they could have right. donated to get their kid in. Yeah, I, ultimately, yeah, it's it's, really. uh, but, it, yeah. it's crazy. But I think this forum helps. Bring back those layers that under then you can understand the banking business. That's right. Because there are a lot of misconceptions about it. And I think podcasts is a really good way oh, yeah. to, well, to, to bring back saying, you know what? I remember Scott talking about that on his podcast. That's right. Well, you know, it's about it's people are we find our customers all the time just don't understand the why. They need mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. the why. 
So when we go to talk to folks, uh, you know, about uh, banking and such and so forth, we, we're not in – we're just not going to come back with a yes or a no. Uh, I never want to come back with just a, and I, I I fight that every day. As the bank gets bigger, we you know our our culture is the most important thing to us and to our board of directors. Um, you know, as soon as that changes, you know I, we're going to have issues. I'm not going to let that change. Um, uh, so we want to go and tell customers how it can be a yes, not a no, but how it can be a yes, because they have to get that from someplace. You know, they're not getting it from their accountants. They're not getting from, you know, their suppliers and everything else. They have to have somebody uh, telling them, look, this is what has to happen for you to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Me giving them more money could be the nail in the coffin. Okay. Right. That's really, I could kill somebody with a loan, just a company with a loan, just as, just as soon as we can uh, help somebody with a loan. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, that's really what we want to try to provide folks. And I think that the why behind banking, um, is it would be very very revealing. Like right now, the history books are being written wrong about the financial disaster, for instance, mm-hmm. how it occurred, what happened, you know, the big bad tarp, and mm-hmm. that was just such a bad thing. All those are that's all fiction, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I lived it. You know, I was right. going to Ohio State after major in High Street. Right? We talked right. about that earlier. Right. Uh, all through that section, that would be a whole other. Mm-hmm. We could do something on the financial de- disaster with people that lived it, right. you know, and right. say, "Hey, this is how the big short occurred." Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be fascinating to right. folks because it's not have, what you see on. And you have TV. a following for it. People love th- that stuff that was not covered properly. That's right. They love it. They love it. And 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 we're in a generation that that instant information is there that you can Google it up and find the. Tr- what you hope is the truth or at least differing views. And then it's up to you to come up with the right stuff. That's right. In your mind, whatever right. you want to believe. Yeah. Well, getting it, getting it from uh, the people that lived it, I think is about oh, the yeah. most real way you can get that information. Exactly. Um, exactly. But everybody, you know, in today's world, it seems like uh, in one of my podcasts, I was interviewing someone from the media. They'll remain nameless. Somebody does their homework. They can find out who it is. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, that person said to me, I said, what do you think what's going on in the media these days and all that? And I said, yeah, what's happening to journalism? He says, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, it seems to me like everybody, you know, everybody that has an interview has a preconceived notion and they're asking questions to validify their preconceived notion. And he said, oh, that's the way they teach. Uh, that's the way they've teach journalism for the last 20 years. I'm like, what happened to reporting the facts? He says, well, that's not what it's about. Journalism is about, you know, developing an axiom or a a thought or a theorem and then proving the theorem through your questioning. I said, that's not journalism. You know, what happened to – That's muckraking (laughs) ultimately. (laughs) Yeah, I mean – You know, yeah, uh, I guess. But anyway, that's what he said and and I didn't want to queer the podcast, right? So I'm like, okay, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Uh, And so we changed the topic, went on something else. that's interesting. Well, and and again, that's – I think that's a unique as a podcast. You can you can go down a rabbit hole, which we're doing right now, which I have that's no right. problem with at all, yeah. because it validifies what this whole thing's all about. That's right. It's just interesting conversation. Find out more about you. Find out more about. I want to find. I want to listen to this podcast now. Scott sounds like a pretty good host. They they must be pretty good. You've referenced a couple. That's the thing. That's what it's all about. As well as. You know, being a proponent with my radio background as well, too, it's just a really easy access form to talk to your future or current customers, too. That's right. You know, well, it's community. all about relationships. Yeah, you know, the world's yeah. about relationships. People want to do 
business uh, with folks that they know, like, and uh, mm-hmm. and have respect for, and and can uh, accessible. They can have trust. Well. They trust. can have trust. Yeah, that's exactly. what it's all about. Yeah. Well, thanks for being a part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, it's good to know you better about where the podcast has been and going, uh, and and our listeners at least can have an opportunity to know what to expect in the future too, which is fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's been a pleasure being here. I love your studio. Everything that you've got here is mm-hmm. great, and uh, and uh, promoting that the whole basis of this podcast was very interesting to me because uh, it it really hit me as being yeah well, I, I would love to talk about that I did it it was easy it was uh, uh, and it, it can open up doors for you so I, I appreciate being able to tell my story thanks very much you bet thank you. At the Bank of Antandek, they're looking for a mascot. We need an icon. Something that says high flying to all our mortgage customers. Like a falcon or a stallion. Or even better, a parrot. Check it out. Meanwhile, at Santander, they're concentrating on helping customers find ways to take years off their mortgage with their overpayment calculator. See what's possible at Santander. All applications are subject to status and our lending criteria. Your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on your mortgage. Oh, I found one of our new Vauxhall Griffin editions. Yes, what comes as standard? Standard? Well, alloy wheels, sat-nav, aircon, DAB radio, Bluetooth, smartphone projection and USB connection. Wow. Is that everything? Sorry, forgot the colour touchscreen. Buy a new Griffin Edition, Adam, Astra, Corsa or Mocha X Plus and get a whole host of features as standard. The Griffin Edition range. All Griffin, no bull. Visit your nearest retailer now. Vauxhall, British brand since 1903. Participating retailers only. Limited units while stocks last.